So, welcome to another episode of the Mixology Collection. My name is Damien Egan. And for those of you that don't know me, my name's Roop, and for those that you do, my name's Roop. How's it going? How are you doing today, Damien? <laughs> I'm right? good, thank you. Um, must remember to press record on the podcast yeah, when you start. Yeah, this is take two. Take let's, two. let's not even hide from the fact. Yeah. It happens, I guess. School wearers. So, um, how do you think the first one went? Yeah, really good, man. Um, I can't believe we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, we're actually doing it, which is really cool. Uh, the setup's amazing. Every time we set up now, I'm just like, wow, this is, there's a lot that goes into this, isn't there? There's a lot of equipment and lots bits of and cables and contraptions um, just to make sure that. But yeah, the work. first one was really good, man. I had a really good time. It's a shame that we uh, had to have Drew Mallins mm. on it, but I suppose <laughs> Burgers can't be choosers, really. Um, what did you learn? What did you learn from the first one? So don't bang the microphone stand is number one. Yes. Um, yeah, that was. Thankfully, that wasn't me because no. I did think it was me, <laughs> and so I didn't really want to say anything. But now you've fessed up, I feel so much better about it. I don't and feel so uh, make sure you print the questions and take them with you. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, yeah, definitely. I mean, we learned a few things, and don't put your guests on the spot. Yep. I mean, that's great in real life, but on a podcast, that massive pause it yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So from now on, we're prepping our guests a little bit in advance, sending them some emails, letting them know what it's about, asking them some questions ahead of time. Um, but we'll figure it out, I'm Absolutely, sure. It's yeah, no, it's too, a, isn't it? Looking forward to more of these. Yeah, man. So why are we here today? Where are we? So we're in Birmingham. Yes. yes. I, like, I like Birmingham. Uh, fun fact for you, Root, there's over 100 Balti restaurants. In Birmingham, don't 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 do this because <laughs> no. Drew, Drew will listen to this and then he'll start banging on about the fact that I owe, yes Drew I owe you a curry I get it yes yes you will get this but um for someone who likes to stroll uh, Birmingham is one of the greenest cities with over eight thousand acres and six hundred parks and open spaces I did not know that yeah so that's amazing strolling to do right for all those people that are listening to this that live in Birmingham as you say hit me up because uh, I want to go for some strolls in, in the greenery that is Birmingham. No, but for real, man, I, I'd like to see it, to be fair. It sounds really cool. Yeah. So we're here in Birmingham to uh, with our next guest, obviously. Uh, who Would you like to introduce him? Yeah, guest number two. Um, I didn't actually think we'd ever say that out loud, so I'm <laughs> going to say it again. Guest number two. Um, yeah, um, known this gentleman a long time. I, I say gentleman, but he's got a bit of a play on the word, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um we met many moons ago. <laughs> I'll ask him about when that was, actually. But um, this gentleman and his counterpart, who we are going to talk to Absolutely. Uh, at some point, um, they kind of um, inspired um, the, the Leicester Bartender Association. So I think Birmingham, or Babs as, as it's known, um, has been around a lot longer. I think it's probably, I kind of want to get to the bottom of it, but I do think it's actually one of the first bartender associations in the country. Um, but anyway, enough of the waffling. Um, so we're going to talk to Mr. Carl Hawkins today, um, aka The Gentleman, um, or The Gentleman UK, I think he calls himself. But we'll get into the whys and hows of, of how that came about. But Carl, how are you, my man? Hello. <laughs> if you're listening in headphones, this is ASMR bartending. Ooh. I'm fine, mate. How are you? <laughs> yeah, really good. Do you know what? The ASMR thing, I googled it because i wasn't really sure what it was about and then um went onto youtube and after about three minutes i was really freaked out because it's just people like scratching the microphone and stroking themselves i'm I'm gonna gonna leave it to the man Mm. himself uh something autosensory meridian response this idea you get tingles in your head it's non-sexual bartender male and females out there but the idea is it gives you tingles in the top of your head if you ever had one of those head scratches Mm. and you've run it in your head it's very similar to that so various different people around the world are doing various different scenarios and it starts triggering things in your head great to get to sleep too so this is based on frequency 
or just uh, chatting it's um some idea that you can chat and it can start stimulating your senses so it's a great way to get to sleep i think um rain against a window and things like that yeah i mean the rain against the window i really understand like i i don't have a problem sleeping i can sleep anywhere i can sleep now standing up um but the yeah, asmr thing yeah it's really interesting it's just people just going hi hello um we're in welcome to the episode today and just whispering the ooh, entire time <laughs> or, or they'll just like uh rub against or they do they do they do the bubble wrap thing as no, well you've got the wrong dvd there ah, right okay that's the rom subscription okay let's uh edit that bit out no so yeah it was, it was a really weird thing i kind of felt i fell into this black hole in youtube that i just was not ready for but i'm glad somebody is very easy to do yeah just type it into youtube and let your imagination run riot yes do it but thanks for being on the podcast my man um i understand this is still first time on a podcast it's the first time i'm a podcast virgin yes i'm quite happy i get to pop that maraschino cherry of yours (laughs) thank you (laughs) um as we explained kind of in the first episode you know this is kind of an open forum to chat to people across the entire industry just to get insights uh pick people's brains and kind of understand their journeys and just kind of share that um having your own platform with the facebook and how we were speaking with drew as well education talk giving information to others is kind of a big part of this journey that we are, we've embarked on yeah we, i mean we're obviously going to go through the whole like tell us about yourself and um sure. where where did you start and and all of that so yeah of course for those people that don't know who you are we're going to tick those boxes for them um but really i kind of like um y- you've been one of these people that I suppose our careers have really kind of worked parallel. Um, we met at a very similar time in our careers and kind of watched each other grow and develop. The glory days. Back <laughs> during the war. Back in them days. Um, so I kind of, and, and, you, and like myself, you've never really kind of ventured out of the Midlands in respects to you've always kept it a place that you've lived at and, and anchored yourself there. Um, so I kind of wanted to touch on that, how what you think of whether whether the community's grown in the industry and how it's changed, especially specifically in your own home city, really. But sure. I'm going to hand it over to Damien, man. Let's get started with some questions. Yeah, I mean? so kind of looking, trying to find some information about your background uh, on the internet. So I saw that really this wasn't your first choice of career. Um, That's correct. I did graphics. I wanted to be advertising art director. I went down to big old London in 1997 and uh, got into advertising very briefly. Very tumultuous time back then, Um, but worked there for a year. Uh, Financially didn't work out, uh, so I moved back to Birmingham in 98. And I always had a passion for drinks, and I started out working in a sort of what you call now a wine bar back in the sort of late 90s, 1998. And uh, it sort of really started started from there. So that Bennett's? I uh, started at Bennett's very briefly. Uh, learned how management can be done wrong. Uh, <laughs> I stayed there for a month. Did make some schoolboy errors, uh, putting a, a, let me think, an ashtray through a glass wash Oops. and uh, serving red wine in an ice bucket, you know, nice. but you've got to start out somewhere. So That's a, that's a Tuesday morning, <laughs> buckets of wine. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was there for a month and then I sort of moved to a place that no longer exists, top of five ways in Birmingham called Someplace Else. So it was the, it was a, a good old fashioned sort of wine bar and sort of started to learn my sort of um, tips and tricks of the trade from there and also a bit of self-knowledge, probably really before the internet. So this is like the mm-hmm. halcyon days of magazine subscriptions and publications, learning your knowledge from there and um, 
going out and about and just seeing what other people were doing. So I was there from 98 until the start of the millennium. Mm. Uh, then <clears> from there, I went over to Leicester to take on a management relief for a month, which turned into 18 months. Okay. And then that would really sort of started to stimulate my sort of real passion in terms of cocktails, etc. because Leicester at the time was a bastion of all things drinks related with I some know. great people. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of it. Where, whereabouts were you? So no, it's now a, Nand, a cheeky Nando's on Granby Street, a bar called Someplace Else. Again, oh god, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. so it was opposite, and uh, so this is the era of Turkey Cafe, Time Bar, amongst many other places. So and some great bartenders there at the time. But I was Thank running, <laughs> I was running this uh, little place that had uh, just come off the end of two for ones and everything. God forbid. I'm just thinking, <laughs> makes me shudder now thinking two for one on Dom Perignon. So um, somebody made a killing there. But am I right thinking you were working with your brother? there as well i worked with him briefly if you know my brother he's a character so um yeah he he sort of helped me out for a month um setting that up and then he came back to birmingham and then ran it and then met a variety of different people went to the very first bar show as well in the year 2000 if you can cast your mind back there down in islington yeah Yeah, down in islington met Mm. dig bradsall um got my photo taken first bit of sort of wow (laughs) actually seeing that guy in the flesh I'm trying and to think back to my first one, actually. Yeah, it, was, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And was that quite an inspiring show then? It, you know, just purely because it was like-minded individuals all underneath one roof. And, you know, you'd gone from pretty much looking and trying to get your knowledge in magazines to actually seeing it on a larger scale and just seeing the people that you'd read about and just seeing products up close, getting to chat to people. You know, everybody makes that first mistake on any sort of trade show. You'd had a few people who crashed and burnt very early on, but uh, (laughs) I used it more as a platform and subsequent years as well as a platform to actually go and do a bit of urban orienteering, as it were, and just trek around London trying to (laughs) dragging a selection of bartenders to, to venues that we'd seen but never actually had a chance to try the drink so a little bit of creative artful dodgering with the menus to um, get some inspiration taking them back with us to uh, Leicester well, so were people um, playing it safe in Leicester would you say or no not really I think there was a lot of creativity going on yeah. you know there was um, there was you know but it was this sort of fledgling era you know we were coming off the end of uh, I suppose the start of the modern renaissance uh, with sort of 99 2000 um, and just general products and moving away you know things like I know it sounds bizarre to the probably the listeners out there but things like cranberry juice and you know all these things we were, <laughs> we were finally starting to see you know fresh fruit not lemons in jars and all sorts of sour mix etc so it was you know actually starting to use fresh ingredients and just being creative I think that was the, the, the you know back then it was the ability to be creative and have the flexibility to then put those you know your creations to the fore what was the um last bar show you went to do you remember what how long ago was that oh i think it it sort of morphed itself it got a little bit uh disco towards the end yeah, that's the reason i'm asking so i'm wondering what you think of it like now versus when you first started um going and if you don't go anymore why not no well, no i still make it a sort of pilgrimage as a rites of passage to yeah, go yeah. down there to imbibe at least you know every year uh, one of the days um, but you know it was just it was just so fresh and so new I suppose, yeah. you know the same thing will be for any sort of bar back or bartender going to their first show it's you know it's a world of wonder as it were um, and the same thing was back in 2000 it just had this more organic experience with 
you know, that sort of growth of, you know, it was hand in hand with the rise of cocktail culture, you know, this is the era of the, you know, Met Bar, etc. you know, all these um, Atlantic, you know, you know, this is, this, I suppose, being really at the, at the sort of the starting point of that modern cocktail culture, which then led on to, you know, into the sort of the noughties, as it were. Yeah, I mean, like you say, uh, for me, the biggest thing for it was just a great place to network, wasn't it? And it also helps you realise, well, one, how big the industry is, but also how small it is at the same time. Like, yeah. And it was really nice to meet like-minded people who had the same problems and same questions and were just as excited as as we were, do you know what I mean? And it was great to to have that. But I kind of wondered what you thought of it. And like, I know you say about the youngsters coming through now and what it's like for them, but as someone that's been going to, to these bar shows for years... I just wonder what you thought of it like now versus I mean is it because you've been in the industry a lot longer that you kind of look at it differently or I think you've just you get to decide what you want you know you pick and choose there's an element of obviously catching up with people but yeah. you know you, there's you know you'll always miss something no matter what every year there'll be something that you haven't quite you know cottoned on to and somebody else has seen it um, but it's just a, it is it's that networking element looking at new products as well but um, for me you know it's you know, it's a chance to go down to London and, you know, get out of your sort of comfort zone, as it were. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you moved back to Birmingham. Yeah, Leicester. in two, 2001. Um, worked briefly in a little area of Birmingham called the Arcadian Centre and then uh, got what I'd been waiting for for a long time and that was to get into a proper cocktail bar. I'd sort of approached bank before I went to Leicester. Uh, but then um, Zinc came up. And oh, wow. so... So I was there in 2001 with the launch of Zinc. I think if I remember correctly, 2001 November time, launched by old uh, Terence himself, Mr. Conran, and uh, David Ginola, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, with his, because uh, he was worth it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember Zinc, actually. Yeah, yeah. Zinc, was, Zinc was a great, you know, I think, again, that's where really Birmingham started to, um, start setting the foundations. We obviously bank had been around for a sort of a year or so before Zinc opened up, and then we had living room, and they were the sort of the holy trinity, as it were, all within a stone's throw of each other. All some really good bartenders as well, had sort of pretty much the same journey as myself um, in different contexts. And I think they were the three that really started to springboard. You know, I have to give firms to Fifty Two Degrees North, which had been around since around ninety seven. Uh, they were sort of the first style bar in Birmingham I remember, I remember hearing about them I think yeah being in Leicester being in the country we, actually thinking about it we yeah. used to hear a lot about um, the living room uh, guys it was yeah those were the those were the bars that people wanted to work in if you were in Birmingham and definitely oh, yeah. definitely yeah, it was amazing and Z yeah Zinc and Bank we're definitely up there as well. Definitely. We're, we're Met some great people, you know, they're still, you know, they're still, you know, championing away in the industry as well. You know, you know, a great guy called Leon Stokes, who's now in Paris. Yeah. Um, he, you know, for years, he was the guy who ran the floor at Artesian. You know, obviously everybody talks about all the, <laughs> yeah. the guys who are running behind the stick, but he had control of the floor. So, you know, a great guy. Not an easy job to do. No, no way. Um, yeah, I was, I was in there recently and it's, yeah, it's incredible how they do it. They make it really, really, really easy yeah and you can just get on with your night and that that as we all know that's not easy to do at yeah. all is it made friends for life as well i think that's the key about it you know and the bartender industry i know is very transient in nature people do 
move around. And I think one of the reasons why I didn't want to, I just wanted to keep that anchor. I'd done a lot of moving around when I was younger anyway, but I just wanted this idea of having a, you know, sticking a flag in and saying, this is, you know, this is Birmingham. I want to be part of it. That sort of journey from 2000s right through to present day. And it's been a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we touched upon in the last podcast about career and kind of people get into bartending just to make a bit of cash and then some really push forward with their careers others disappear and um so you obviously it sounds like there's quite a lot of talent that has been nurtured through birmingham yeah. and gone out into the world no definitely you know you know we've you know it's been really nice to see some industry recognition in the last couple of years with you know various different class awards and uh you know um, the Diageo world class, you know, some of the guys who have, um, have gone on to reach the final, the final five sounds very Battlestar Galactica. That does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's been nice and they've, you know, obviously gone on to bigger and better things. You know, you, you James Bokers of this world have done yeah. really well. Tommy's, you know, doing really well at couch in Sturchley. So, but it's nice to see a mix. And I think everybody who's left Birmingham will, you know, have a nice memory of it because it is a real, you know, it's a great community and you know and that's not just ourselves every city has a great community but you know it's nice that the people have left will always have a soft spot for it i think i agree man i think more and more i'm seeing people from outside of london now getting a bit of recognition obviously um i think one of the more recent class magazine covers had the guys from up north on the front cover and yeah it's 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 really good because like obviously people like yourself and myself over the years have always kind of wondered why we weren't getting the recognition that we <laughs> felt like bubble, we deserved. Yeah, it. yeah. but um, but it's you know it's great. I, I'm I'm loving the new talent coming through, and it's and it's great that they're flying the flag for the north and the Midlands, and definitely uh, and kind of standing toe to toe with with some of the some of the biggest boys in the world. Do you know what I mean in, in London yeah. and some of the biggest bars. lots of personalities as well. I think that's a key thing. You know, it's an under underpinning factor with anything with regards to hospitality. You've got to have a good personality to drive that, you know, that liquid forward and create the atmospheres. You know. You know, there's some great guys up north, and you know, I'd like to think we've got to we can hold our own down here as well. Yeah, I mean, you talked about obviously um, talent coming through and all these people coming through from the Midlands. Obviously, when you first started, I say obviously, but when you first started in the career, like, this wasn't the career that you chose to do. Yet, you then ended up co-founding uh, a platform for like your colleagues in in the bartender uh, yeah, Birmingham yeah. Bartender Association or Babs, as it's called. Yeah. So, what what inspired that then? I think there's, you know, I've always had a level of, you know, I've always been creative in some way, shape or form, and that's followed myself through, you know, I suppose the elements of the bar shows, it was very much like it was one day and that was it. And then it just dissipated. You carried on getting your magazine subscriptions and then that was it until the next year. And it was just a chance to network with like-minded people. And I think, you know, I'd left Zinc after a good couple of years, went on to Chi, which again was our answer to China White's complete with a 60 foot bed and jacuzzi. Just uh, don't <laughs> that's it. That's we could do a whole new podcast on that alone. But then I sort of got to work with Jules at uh, probably, you know, Birmingham's first speakeasy bar red. And, you know, the ideas we'd been festering the idea for, you know, a while. And we decided that we wanted to do something to bring these, uh, these, pods of people together under one roof but also 
educate, inform, inspire, you know, and just a, a great way to network as well because, you know, there were there were people, but it was you knew them through friends of friends and it was all very much a hello, but this was a chance to get everybody underneath one roof. And, you know, we launched it um, 15 years ago this March. So it's, you wow. know, it's one, of, one of many anniversaries this year for Birmingham. So, uh, And how was that launch? Was it... In a digital form, or is it- this this is all pre pre Facebook. This is the you know the old fashioned way. I'm not sort of talking carrier pigeon. It wasn't that sort <laughs> of a extreme, but it was just a case of just letting people know that we were putting it on. And uh, the first one we ever did coincided with obviously St Patrick's weekend. So we got uh, a great rep called Nicole Coya, who um, had a, had a chat with us about uh, Jameson, uh, and that was the starting point. Um, I can't remember exactly how many people there. Like anything, I'm sure everybody will say they were there for the very first one. Yeah. It only held about 80 people, so people say they were there. But, yeah, it was a good good collection of people. It was a great starting point because you could look up and you saw your peers um, on a Monday night, you know, some of them were tough after heavy weekends, but, uh, you know, we'd always start sort of religiously around half seven, eight o'clock, chat for a couple of hours and then just a chance to sort of network. And then over time that grew organically. Um, so it That's became really the cool. place to the place to go. And it was, you know, it was very, I remember um, many years ago, uh, there was a, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head, I'll think back to it. Um, but it came down, it was like a secret society. You know, obviously those of you who are not familiar with Red, it was an underground bar, which is now, so, it still exists, but I think it's a walk-in storage unit for Fumo and San Carlo. But back then it was re- very Red. It was designed like an, I suppose like a luxurious speed boat uh, of some description and it was just very underground, very organic and it was, it was great really space. cool. I mean, when you say uh, Jules, who you co-founded it with, yeah. uh, Julian Rose Gibbs, for those people that don't know who he is, uh, we're going to be talking to him at some yeah, point. My partner we? in crime um, at yeah. a bank, my, um, you know, my great nemesis, guy. but not but um, great. Shout out to Julian until we come and see him, man. Um, but that's I th- that was where I first met um, yourself and Julian, Red Bar. Um, at a Babs event and I'd heard about this platform or this 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 opportunity for bartenders to to meet up and, and learn about alcohol and spirits in, yeah. in, in a way that wasn't having to go to London and go to the bar show um, and that was definitely what when I came back to Leicester I was like why are we not doing this in Leicester and that was what really inspired the the Leicester Bartender Association yeah, yeah. for us to set it up and Nottingham I think NBA did sort of did it around the same time I think it was yeah. a great way to go in you know, it it seems a no brainer, really. Yeah, it's so a I, chance. Have you guys to... been around the longest? And I'm for the, for those listeners out there. If anybody has set up an association um, pre two thousand, I know Lab Lab has yeah. obviously been around prior to that, but I think that was more of a, an academy as opposed to. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the dynamics of it. Uh, I'm sure the guys would be able to inform you. Yeah, a Lab bit opened more about in ninety nine, didn't it? Yeah, I think that was more. Um, Financial. This was, uh, you know, it still is. It's a non-profit organisation, so it's just a chance people come down. You know, the the sort of we were the, I suppose, the middlemen in terms of getting the the bartenders together, the the, the brands. It wasn't just necessarily brands. It was all aspects of the industry. We even had, you know, um, licensing come down and chat about. So we were trying to sort of cover all spectrums. Um, you know about health wealth and well-being um but you know going beyond just learning but that was obviously a main component and then just taking people you know and and, and again then meeting you know friends in the industry and then they've built you know lifelong patterns from that and subsequently it led to other jobs when people ask me about um doing it 
for free taking up my own time to to put these sessions together when I was in Leicester and we were doing these quite regularly and obviously I have my answers as to what my motivation was but over to you I mean what 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 kept you and what keeps you doing it now because obviously like you just said it's it's you don't make any money out of it you're not getting paid for your time and yeah. we know that time's precious why not why not yeah, that's and that, I think you know sometimes it can be too mercenary uh, everybody's like trying to make a quick book in some way shape or form we mentioned obviously off air about you know we've got, we've got to be very mindful we are the you know the guardians of that group and yeah. as it grows organically I think we're up to over 4,000 members now there are people out there who will use it and thinking it's a database for them to dip into and not give anything back whereas we see it more as a as I said, a networking community of like-minded individuals who yeah. can, you know, educate, inform, and inspire—not just each other, but you know, those next-generation people coming through. And how has it, the group evolved in terms of the offering and what it does as a function? Uh, I think you know, for the first few years, especially, it was you know because we had a centralised space, we did it more as a sort of a training academy, a free training academy, and then um, I ran um, from there around a venue called the Jekyll and Hyde, which was the UK's, I believe, first contemporary gym bar, and my and Jules went to run a great um, sort of pub. Um, called the victoria and then it's sort of we try you know we were doing various different bits of bobs and since then we've tried to bring the sort of the new wave um of bartenders through to sort of take you know in effect hand the baton over you know me and jules are still there as the figureheads but just looking at various different ways you know talking about benevolent um you know yeah. just this whole idea as i get older particularly it's looking back at you know, you don't want to be dictatorial and about bartenders coming through, but yeah, everybody has to make their own mistakes, but it's just learning. And if there's any support structures out there that can give bartenders who may well have, you know, addictions of any way, shape or form, it's that that's a great, you know, side avenue we can signpost to. Now, we looked at our own version, but Benevolent do it so well, you know, mm. there's no need. I mean, you mentioned Benevolent, obviously, uh, well-being and mental health and, and you've been around uh, in the industry um, as long as I have, probably maybe even a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the changes in respect to the, the, as positive as they are with the conversation pieces that we're having right now? I mean, do you incorporate that into your your daily routine in, in respect to when you're talking to the younger bartenders coming through now? What, what kind of advice do you give them? It's a tough, it's a really, really tough one. You speak to anybody over a certain age, even, I suppose, even different hospitality areas like chefs. You know, we're from that old school yep. uh, era where, you know, we were expected and to slap out 70 plus hours a week and you know you just get on and did it yeah you know and there's a there is a you know there's a lot more of a culture now that struggle with that and you know in some respects quite rightly because you know there has to be a level of work-life balance hospitality has been notoriously difficult throughout you know you know the working time directive didn't apply you know you've got to, <laughs> yeah. you know and you know most people you know look at your show you know you'll see lots of memes you know i've done 35 hours a week well that's your part-time job you know, <laughs> just like you know and i think that's the that's the key um you know the new gen coming through you know, there's enough scope out there. There's enough different concepts out there to attract people, but it has to be more than just, you know, sp you know, get you in, spit you out, and you're burnt out by the time you're 30. You know, yeah. there, there can be a career in there, but I think it steps onto so many other things in terms of, you know, pensions and, you know, 
everything it's still there's still that ad hoc cash in hand culture and you know with mm-hmm. with an element of that as well there's still insecurity you know i guarantee there's probably most of the bartenders out there they're still probably a week away from being skint you know that's that still exists you know it's very much living living for your next paycheck you know so unfortunately that's a that's something that's not changed you know um I'm just it's ingrained into me, you know, that hard, hard working hard and that's that's myself personally, but there's nothing wrong with that. And and I, I think you're right. I mean, we we obviously it wasn't something that we spoke about when we were younger. Uh, it wasn't something that was spoken to, about to us really in respect to managing our finances and thinking about the future. And at that age, you don't really think about it anyway. You just want pension. What pension? <laughs> exactly. I'm probably not going to live till after thirty anyway. Um, especially the way we had our lifestyle, which isn't something we're I'm proud of, but it was just a reality of the environment that we lived in at that it's moment. It's right, rites of passage. Everybody has it in some yeah. way, shape, or form. You know, we. It is that work hard, play hard culture that existed. It may still exist today. But then you get to where we are now and you start thinking about things like your finances and your future and your nest egg. And, and there's, you start to kind of almost sound like your parents because these younger bartenders coming through now, you start to try and talk to them about it. And I'm sure there were people that were trying to talk to us about it and we were very dismissive. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's a really important, you're right, it's a really important conversation mm-hmm. to have about protecting you yourselves. Know, just looking at it from Birmingham in general, though, the amount of people have now gone on to open their own venues you know this didn't really exist you yeah. know, whether bab was a catalyst or you know was a stepping stone for people to have the confidence to do that but you know there's a there's a clutch of really great people who've sort of i suppose gone through that bab conveyor belt as it were who've gone on to open their own places and it, you know for me that's fantastic it just you know there is you know for those young bartenders out there there is a you, there is a career path that you can see if you you know if you put the hard work in and take it seriously you know there's an opportunity to do something really really good yeah i see kind of a lot of people now venturing out on their own setting up their own business doing consultancy setting up new venues because they're probably a bit tired of just making money for somebody else exactly that's exactly what i did i turned the big 4-0 i know yes i know it doesn't look it you uh, don't look it <laughs> Why, thank you, cocoa butter. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was lard, actually. Oh, I Ooh. thought you were talking to me then. I was like, oh. I was like thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, I turned the big 4-0, and I just ran the Jekyll and Hyde at the time for four or five years, and I just, I got to the point where I was giving all my creativity to um, to a guy who I didn't feel I was getting the, that necessarily back, um, and I just thought, if I carry on this vein, I will be working for the man for the rest of my life. I had to make that conscious decision to make that cut and do something. I thought, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So set up something on my own and but, be my own boss. But Jekyll and Hyde was kind of a good springboard into kind of the area you're focusing on at but the moment. Bizarrely, as it may seem, uh, the idea was I was going to move away completely from that. So oh, really? I, I okay. thought I'd reach my sort of, I'd done it. I'd been there for sort of five years and I wanted to create a new concept which was fusing the idea of kitchen and bar together um and come up with sort of this idea of i suppose you know linking those creative skills uh, didn't pan out unfortunately so um but for know, those that don't know jekyll and hyde actually then became this gin parlor that yeah, you so took the, ownership yeah. over and yeah no the, so the jekyll and hyde was the the name i created the gin parlor was um the concept um i was looking for something to appeal to male and female young and old rich and poor sandwiched between the financial district 
law courts, um, blue chip companies, even you know students, host, children's hospitals. So it pretty much hit a dynamic. And at the time, we come off the end of the credit crisis, and I wanted something myself that could stimulate me enough. And it just so happened that I think in two thousand and nine, nobody's really doing gin, and I could source. I think it was thirty gins when I first <laughs> launched, which well, is okay. which is pretty scary there because that's somebody's home gin collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it started from there, and over the five years that I ran it, I took it up to. 120. I always tell this story when I do my tastings. Got really excited thinking I'm going to get the Guinness Book of Records for the most amount of gins. <laughs> didn't didn't realise it doesn't even touch the sides. Yeah, I've been to Evil Eye Lounge in York. Oh, right, okay. Where it's over a thousand, well, it's well over a thousand bottles that they stock yeah, and sell. Yeah, Evil Eye. I think there's a, the old bell in Saddleworth. In, in yeah. Are Evil Eye now in the record books? They had it. I don't know whether somebody's taken over. It's, it's, been, it's been bouncing it around, but you know, it's Wouldn't just. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's yeah, a lot, a lot of bottles. But uh, but did you have your own interest in gin at the time, or you just decided to um, pick it? Wayne Collins, incidentally, a uh, big, big up if you're listening, Wayne. Um, he, Shout out to Wayne Collins, there, absolute legend. Um, he got me into gin bizarrely. If he did a masterclass when I was at Zinc uh, many, many years ago with Plymouth Gin, and it was something that I hadn't really sort of looked at as a category. It was something that had perceptions. From there, it was this sort of the era that uh, Martin Miller's launch, who I worked for, '99, uh, and then Tanqueray Ten, which is still a cracking gin launched in 2000 so that was the sort of realizing well actually you can drink gin on its own um and that sort of was sort of lurking at the back of my mind um and you know that was a chance to then put a focus on one particular spirit i just thought it was a nice way to get people into a category that had a rich history i'm a big uh, I love sort of telling stories. I'm a raconteur, yeah. I like to call myself. <laughs> so the idea of telling stories um, has always appealed and gin had such a rich history. It was a great way to articulate that. And it just so happened we found a great building um, that um, used to, the gin parlor, funny enough, used to house the West Midlands Serious Crime Squad in the 70s. So if those walls okay. could talk, <laughs> my God. Um, but yeah, so it was good, you know, a great space and we sort of decked it out for Victorian. I suppose there was a bit of a nod and inspiration from what Hendrix had done, but it was very much, you know, you see it now, de rigueur everywhere, but, you know, this idea of, you know, that sort of Victorian-themed parlor-esque type of place. It really works. I mean, for those people that haven't been there, it's, it's still it's still open. It's still, it's still, it's still going there. strong. It's, still there, yeah. um, it's, it's a really cool little place to visit, man. Upstairs is really nice as well. Yeah, got a nice little Alice in Wonderland courtyard out the back as well. Yeah, but I it's love been, that. Yeah, it's been the model for, you know, you pretty much go to any city now, you'll see a variation of it in some way, shape or so, form. So yeah. you, I mean, some, some bartenders went from working from behind the bar, eventually wanting to own their own venue yeah. uh, outright for themselves. Um, obviously, that's a, that's a box that some bartenders want to tick, but that wasn't... No, 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 I had the same, I had the same vision as everybody else. You know, everybody sits there late at night going like, this is what I do for my bar, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's where... I got to that point where, because the financing fell through, um, it was just, um, well, I need to... Um, yeah, create still. I need to earn money because I'm working for myself. So I came up with this idea of a, the gentleman as a persona, uh, with a, the idea eventually to have an overarching um, entertainment company under the, the banner Amuse Booze. What can you say? I, I, I love a good pun. I, you know, people who know me know I love a good pun. I've not heard that one. I yeah. like that one. So just drinks entertaining because I think, you know, having been in the trade for as long as I have, I wanted to. 
I suppose I've gone full circle. So I've done everything from creative creativity in terms of drinks right through to now my focus is on the customer. Mm. You know, I know it sounds bizarre, but you'd be surprised how many people are so obsessed about drinks and appealing to their peers that this idea of, you know, the customer is it's there, but they talk about it with reverence. But in reality, they're just trying to, you know, tap each other on the back and, you know, all that sort of type of thing. Whereas I now have the ability to be front facing and entertain people at home, which I think is for me, is a it's the next evolution. So have you had to develop your own persona for that? Or has it just come naturally? Yeah, yeah I think I've always been an entertainer. Uh, probably some sort of actor is lurking in there somewhere. But this idea of being able to entertain people, that's, you know, you're in hospitality. I think it goes without saying that the, the clue's in the title. So, you know. And We're getting into dangerous territory here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I don't disagree at all, man. Like, um, you, you're right. Sometimes I've walked into venues and it feels like the customer base is secondary to, to whatever's going on behind the bar which is a shame in, in some instances but then I have to put my hand up and say as a younger bartender I was probably guilty of doing that as well and, and there's a level of self-awareness isn't it really yeah and you I kind think of we've all get, we all moment. get convoluted and we all we, you know we we want to, you know, look good. Um, yeah. You know, we've we've all is guilty. You know, you look at looking back at some of my menus. There's a, you know, there's a level of narcissism in there. You know, I think it's it's inherent with you know when you're in a creative environment, you want to be the best. But I just think you know, for me personally, as I said, the older you get, there's a in that big pyramid of creativity. You know, there's a nice big wedge in the centre that I'm happy to deal with because you know they're all I've got a great demographic who I deal with who yeah. are. You you know they like food and they like drinks but you know they don't necessarily want to be that sort of tip of the apex as it were you know they just like they like to be entertained and that's it I, th I think gin's quite good you know historically you know not like not that other spirits don't have their own um interesting facts but i think gin has had such a journey and lots of interesting stories that you can pull out and be very animated with. It's great. Which it's great. is a great storytelling, great way to entertain people and, you know, having represented brands. So I had to kind of do a quick, quick uh, learn into the history of it uh, to present masterclasses at some of these gin shows. But the facts you can bring out and then you just amaze the consumers, just like with, you know, where um, Quack comes from or Saved by the Bell and all these little stories that just kind of blow their minds. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And you can just capture their attention span so easily. Yeah. As I said, I love entomology. So, you know, the, the study of words. So, you know, the origins of where things come from. And I think it's great if you can weave that narrative and it fits within, you know, and as I said, this is why gin has such a rich history. Yeah. That, you know, that you can you can tell that timeline story to somebody and they leave going like that you know the the thing i get from my taste is educational and fun and and for me that is you want to inform and inspire that to me is i'm happy with that so, so someone that's coming to you one of your master classes one of your events what can they expect without giving obviously too much away um well I'd like to sort of take them on a bit of a journey. Uh, depends on what package. Now, as I said, it's more about experiential packages now. But fundamentally, um, the origins of what goes into the liquid, um, where it came from, the ups and downs right through to present day and how to drink it, you know, everything from why, why you're drinking out of a big wine glass, um, you know, the relevance of zesting uh, a piece of citrus over the top to lift the overall experience, everything. So, you know... It's taking them. It is a journey. It is a journey. So that and that's what I enjoy. 
I, I mean, you, you've definitely been successful in respects to the persona that you created, the gentleman that you're now known as. And the reason I know this is because for someone that doesn't live in Birmingham, if ever I'm approached about gin and somebody mentions Birmingham, we direct them to you. <laughs> that's why. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how it works, really. But as someone that doesn't work behind the bar anymore, and it's something that I kind of been thinking about for a while, and I've talked to a few of my peers about, like the 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 structure of working inside a rotor, the structure of working inside a venue, having your colleagues to kind of bounce off. Um, but you're a lot like me now. You you work on your own by yourself. You've got to kind of think about how to grow your own persona, your own business. Um, and as someone that's very uh, similar in age to myself, um, how, how have you found the transition and how do you keep kind of growing in that sense? For those, for those bartenders out there that, that want to then go out and start working for themselves and maybe not go down the route of owning a bar, um, for those of you that do own bars, we are going to talk to you about that. But for now, I just kind of wondered what, I mean, do, do, you, do you utilize social media? Do you have to study a lot more? What kind of reading do you have, now have to do? It's tough. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to paint this rosy picture for anybody. You know, you know when I, I, you know, I probably went through bouts of sort of depression because of it, because he okay. was just trying to be creative. You know, I'm a creative person and you've got to pay the bills. Um, so there's times here where you've got to be, there's a lot of self-motivation and there's days, you know, when you've got gigs that are primarily weekend based, you've got to try and fill your time during the week. Um, so yeah, you've got to try and, you know, you've always got to try and be ahead of the curve. You know, I'm, you know, we're in a gin bubble as it were that's been going for 10 years now my sort of i'm anchored to that bubble if that bubble pops then you know as you get older especially you look up and go well where do you go yeah, you know yeah. what you know Definitely. where is where where do you make your money because you know it's a relentless industry so you know it is everything trying to stay ahead of the curve trying to come up with creative ways to you know enhance that experience if the bubble does burst i'd like to think that you know people have enjoyed the experience regardless and they'll still want to come back you know as i've mentioned to you off uh, off air about you know developing secondary or third personas you know uh, oh, a rum, okay. a rum yeah, character yeah. you know so this idea you can tap in uh, but it will still be driven by this idea of you know a fun and educational show and i think that's how i see it more now as opposed to everything from 90 minutes to two two and a half hours it's a, it's a show yeah. and you weave that experience within that so what advice would you give to to somebody come coming in to maybe trying to want to do what you do for myself um, don't come to birmingham <laughs> no, no, the gentlewoman appearing soon don't get as barred from Birmingham <laughs> no no it's um you know there's there's loads of different things you can specialize in you know um uh, Sam Bolton for example you know he's he's, he's flying the flag for Mead yeah he's doing some great and, work you know he? vermouth ambassador you know there's de there's various different ways you know I'm not the only person in the country now that de deals with gin tastings you know find us something that you're passionate about I think that's the yeah. first thing yeah. uh something that you can speak with a level of authority and just remember Remember, you know, you're there to educate. People don't want an open university lecture when they're coming to yeah. a tasting. You know, a vast mm -hmm. majority of people want to be entertained. Yeah. Just keep that as your mantra. Just entertain, educate, inform, inspire. That's all you have to do. Don't just, just like this podcast. This is it. You know, <laughs> you, don't exactly have to, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. People, you know, we are, we're, we're, the, we're the social people. You know, we're the idea. We bring, you know, we bring that sort of social experience to uh, a night whether it's at home as you said i've done all sorts of tastings everything from a home to 
hotels, you know, working, collaborating with wine bars, restaurants, you name it. So it's so diverse, you know, when you, when you, I suppose for those people who are in a bar now or a restaurant going, I feel like I'm surrounded by four walls all the time. I can't, you know, I need to get out. You know, I'd done that. I, you know, I wasn't a, a mover. I'd stay in places for three years plus. And I'd, you know, now I get to travel around the country. I don't drive. So incidentally, um, if you don't drive, it's not the end of the world. Never have. Some people drive. Some people are meant to Uber. But this idea that you can get around the country, you get to see it. You get to try, you know, in all ways, shapes and forms. So that, that kind of leads me on to kind of being a brand ambassador, because obviously you've got a lot of bartenders who move into that role. Yeah. Can you maybe explain to me, to some who are kind of new to the industry what that entails and... Um, how it can be a stepping stone into other areas in the industry? Rapport. I think that's the easiest way to discover. You need to build rapport. um, And that's initially is with, you know, your probably closer circle, um, you know, getting some to buy into what you're selling, but then having that ability to communicate that brand message to venues because they're the ones who fundamentally you need to get your stock because that's what you're being paid for from your brand Um, and obviously brand awareness to the consumer to that drive that to the venues but also to retail as well so i think it is it's all about building rapport and you know having a having an element of personality you don't have to be cocky you know, you can, you, you, for me personally, I prefer people who are more genuine and humble and down to earth and these, you know, a loudmouth brand ambassador because more than likely they have the ability to sabotage their own brand. Um, so that's interesting. So just be, I, just I be, agree. just, just be humble and be, and buy into it. You know, if you, you know, if you're lucky, you might just get one particular brand, but you know, you might have a portfolio of different things you've got to talk about. You have to have the ability to, compartmentalize usp it um because i think that's the key you know if anybody's ever done a trade show before or anybody done bbc good food show and you and you're having to say the same message time and time again you do get down to getting the bullet points because that's what you want to try and get across to people you want people to think actually i really like this and he's totally told me two or interesting facts that might stick um and then i want to hunt that out you know you don't have to regale them with three hours worth of (laughs) chat about the distillation process you know put it into any other industry you know do people really want to know the inner workings of an exhaust you know so you know don't get so fixated about the distillation processes i know yes it's an element of it but you know fundamentally it's people will buy it based on packaging design and the liquid inside and if it's got an interesting story the amount of new stories with brands that have got no history you've got to try and create a narrative so it's from somewhere it's amazing yeah. the story you know, the amount the amount of you know where, where have you pulled that chestnut from <laughs> <laughs> yeah but going back to stories um just kind of to pick your brain of a few couple of things that you found in kind of the gin journey that you kind of you like to tell uh, I love to start the origins of the, the glass, you know, my story. Um, I could be proved wrong because, again, you you know, you learn every day. You've, you discover new things. You know, the idea of um, a Spanish chef, Fran Adria, um, who, if anybody's familiar with El Bully. Oh, was that um, the Michelin's yeah, yeah. tapas place? Yeah, yeah. so he... Um, so he uh, Big fan of Fever Tree and early adapter. I forget Bitcoin, by the way. Fever Tree shares in 2005. We'll be having this 
podcasting Mauritius. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the story behind you know, the glass, he got a big balloon glass uh, and he wanted to construct a G- He was a big fan of G&Ts. Uh, I could be proved wrong if he listens to this podcast. He can get back in contact and say nothing like it at all. If he's listening and he responds, I'd <laughs> yeah. be happy with that. <laughs> uh, but the idea, you know, pack a glass full of ice, you know, gone are the days of the retro social club G&T with one cube. Um, you know, the thermal dynamics doesn't melt as quickly. Nice, big, healthy Spanish measure. But, but this idea, it comes out looking like a work of art. If anybody's been to a nice restaurant, you'll see the chef will normally come out and touch tables, as they say in the trade, with a, a glass of Prosecco, wine or a beer. He just happened to be a fan of G&Ts and everybody went, my God, this is the best restaurant in the world. What are you drinking? <laughs> You know, so the, and this is the, it filtered into bars in Spain, um, taking his lead, and and it filtered back here into the UK. So yeah. you know, that's one element. I've got, yeah. You know, as I said, I could we could have a completely different podcast <laughs> about just my we might do we might come narratives back. Yeah. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. with my stories, giving all my top tips. I might, yeah. I might do that. Do you know what I liked about that story? My favorite part was the fact that you prefaced it with a, with just by saying, "Look, if if I'm not right about this, please let me know." And I think that's really important in our industry because. It, it, or in any industry really but for us it's great to be able to go look here's a story this is what I've learned if anybody else knows any different let me know do you know what I mean or if somebody knows the origin of this or the person that created it send them my way because I, I like the openness of that there's not many people that can handle that or deal with that once they've learned something that's fact for them and then all they want to do is argue with, argue with you about it but I, I quite like hearing other people's opinions the Dutch the courage stages. thing you know for years yeah. I, I've always weaved the narrative about you know given to soldiers before you go over the top etc etc and then Same. you know and then you hear the sort of the political element of it that the fact that uh, the Dutch had access to the best spices in the world and English the English got jealous they had the best navy in the world so we started making stuff up about them <laughs> you know going Dutch yeah. being tight basically you're having to split a meal you know Dutch courage this idea that you have to get smashed to fight whereas yeah. English people in theory don't you know so and there's all these sort of things that you start <laughs> delving down a little bit further so again there's what you know, start off on one thing and the more you learn going actually I can integrate that and yeah. that, that, that and sounds again, a bit better it's super interesting we'll probably have to yeah. come back and do some of these stories actually yeah. But I do, I do like the fact that you're open to somebody just not calling you out, but going, actually... I'm never, you know, go, yeah. I'd like to... This is what how I do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not one of these people who are going to say everything that comes out of my mouth is 110% correct, you know, because I wasn't there. You know, I, you know, I, can, tell, I can tell a story about history, but, you know, I'm going to read it, but, you know, you know, unless you're there. Yeah, Exactly. That, yeah, I mean, God, there's so many stories yeah. that I don't even know. Sometimes it's really hard to sift through them all. We, we were in contact because you put on the Gin in the City in Birmingham. Yeah, how, a couple of years ago. How was that as an experience? Tough. <laughs> Is that So that's how you two first met? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was approached by somebody who wanted to put on a gin festival, uh, and I just basically took the reins. I thought, well you know, I can consult on it or come on board with it. Um, and it was quite, you know, an ambitious project. It was just trying to integrate um, the city into as if different zones and each one had an experience going on. And over the course of the three days, you could go and various different things happening. Didn't quite sell as many tickets as I've liked, if I'm perfectly honest, you know, and that's the big difference, you know, the difference between having 500 and 5,000 people wandering around. So, and unfortunately we were chatting off air about the fact that this was two years ago when we'd had four months of solid sunshine and then that weekend yeah. it threw it down <laughs> it so, sure did so yeah the, the gods were conspiring that weekend but you know again this idea of you know looking at creative experiences in a different way um, and I think that's, that's really cool that you did that but I mean like you said you, the ticket sales side of it for 
And one of the things I've learned really is that every, every idea costs money uh, to put together. But ultimately, you, 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 as much as it's nice to put these things together for people, the business element, the business side of it is really important and you still want to try and get something back for it as yeah. well. And, and that's how you measure it don't you really so it's all nice having people walking around venues and walking around a city but when you're in your in the room on your own at the end of it all and you're looking through the books and yeah. looking at how much it costs you to put it all together and the time and effort and then you look at how much you actually get back you're like sometimes you're like what yeah. why do I even put this it, is tough. Do it? it is tough you know that's like a bigger scale events and stuff but you know you live and you learn it we only we turned it around in two months from scratch oh, wow. so that was that, <laughs> that was, was that was that's tough. incredible <laughs> that's incredible but I, th I think that's but that's good to know because it's good to hear as well because i don't think i think there's a lot of bartenders or there's a lot of people that visit these festivals and trade shows and 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 why should they i guess why should they realize how much work goes on behind the scenes but i guess for those people that want to set up their own trade show or their own little festival it, it it's that isn't it if you're if you if the books don't balance then you've got to that, enjoy yeah. logistics as well i think you've yeah. got to, you've got to be a good organizer um you know so there's elements you've got to have some sort of supervisory experience and having to deal with things to to do that you can't just expect it to magically happen because you you know it will fall, fall flat what's been the biggest change for you in your city in respect to the wow. industry wow <laughs> that's just popped oh, into my head so I'd throw it out someone else's mind's just been blown <laughs> well, it's what we do it's what we do mate we play, play and now ones. we go on to a three hour rant <laughs> no not really uh, absolutely uh, you know unbelievable um, you know I started as I said in 98 um, it's gone through ups and downs you know Birmingham has always been seen as a bit of a backwater when it came to drinks it was always led by Manchester and Leeds uh, we were the sort of like the poor relation um, and I think it was endemic with the sort of bars that were here very much sort of chain orientated even now today it can be embarrassing coming to this city because between sunday and wednesday it's tough to get a decent uh, any volume of people out even a thursday you know to enjoy uh, drinks in the city uh, across the board so but yeah just the explosion the infrastructure you know you look out you know at the window not trying to name drop but you know you've got a principal <laughs> hotel going up in, in the summer um around here you know in the space of the last few years you've got all the big chains that historically would have steered clear as a base for putting a a venue in uh, okay. and now looking so you've got Dishoom opening up in a couple uh, I think Ooh. next month you've I love got, Dishoom <laughs> um, so you know but these places wouldn't have existed um, uh, 10 years ago um, so you know that you know we had a living room and you know that sort of living venture sort of type of operation but you know and, and very much sort of generic sort of pub chains whereas now not only that but it's been coupled with as I said the explosion of the the sort of the micro experiences so you know if around the city you've got a man at 40 some pours cracking gin bar you know rob doing his thing at 1881 you've got couch in sturch you know so opening up neighborhoods i know i'm going to miss somebody out now so I'm oh no no I'm <laughs> <gonna> <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been to couch yet. i'm really sorry about that so we're, we're going to come and see you guys soon and obviously i'm in at 40 St Paul's isn't just any gym bar is he? he's like yeah. the best gym bar in the world best right now bar, yeah. so we're definitely going to go and talk to him as well shout out to, to you guys um, oh, so, oh, sorry Sam at the Vanguard as well. <laughs> so, you have start, already mentioned him before he so starts okay. giving me the daggers <laughs> um, but no we're going to make our way around sort of to all of these people but it, like just wanted to kind of like talk to you man because I don't really get the opportunity to, to do this um, yeah. I, I 
I'm blessed that I get to travel the country quite a bit. I spend a lot of my time in London, as we all know, but I don't actually really get to just sit down and chat like this. It's, it's really cool. It's really like insightful. I don't, nobody, as well. nobody really sort of speaks to me about it. If you know, I mean, you're yeah, not yeah. part of the circuit, so you know, there's lots part of, of my circuit. That's yeah, all that counts. Thank you. <laughs> there's lots of, there's, as I said, there's lots of knowledge that I'm sure you'll uncover on these podcasts, yeah. going around chatting to people who have got some, hopefully, some interesting things to say about you know the the industry that we are passionate about yeah, um, that, that don't necessarily get the um the the column inches or the awards etc but are still passionate about what we do i'm really looking forward to um what what's next for the gentleman uh, i know you touched on obviously expanding into other areas and maybe other spirits and other characters but on a serious note, man, it's been, it's it's really cool. Like uh, having watched your journey and some of the people that we're going to talk to over the next like podcast episodes and series and such, it's really cool, man. It's really cool just to be able to like follow someone and then sit down with them and go, yeah, that has it been <laughs> like yeah. what's it been like for you, and be able to yeah. hear it from that side of it. Yeah. It's, you know, don't get me wrong, it's it's you're always when you work for yourself in any industry it's always like where where how am i going to pay the rent yes, <laughs> yes. you know so good old tax man you know so i think for me it's just trying to you know as i said the beauty i've been born with creativity so that's something that can really you know really is a you know thing to drive me forward so it's just trying to find additional revenue streams that you know can counterbalance um my obviously dealing with consumers um so you know trying to work on some retail things um just to sort of expand the brand but not too far you know it's not you're not going to see i don't know gentleman pastor not to dilute so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. well as they say like passion doesn't pay the bills do you yeah. know what I mean? yeah so yeah. you still need the business side of it really yeah definitely but um so uh, should we move on to our features yeah, let's let's do this after you, Damien. So um, <laughs> dun, dun, I'm, I'm really dun. prepared here. You can tell. <laughs> uh, so um, we're in, interested speaking um, to people who run bars to understand what kind of music motivated motivated them when they would kind of open up and get ready for prep. Um, um, so we're asking you know to pick a tune that kind of a go-to tune that would kind of get you up and hard question hard going. question. Yeah. Uh, I did a bit of DJing every now and again, uh, but I'm, I'm sort of from the era of sort of like everything from Rat Pack right through to soul, funk, disco, um, sort of soulful house. So probably something like, um, I don't know, reflect my personality, something like maybe MJ Off The Wall. Nice. You know, just like, you know, nice. just... Uh, that's get, a tune. Get old Quincy. Yeah, you know, get, can't beat a bit of Quincy, uh, the medical professional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the best theme tunes of any like TV show as well. To be fair, Great oh I don't know. Show. I think we could spend hours arguing about that. <laughs> I don't know. Murder she wrote. I said much. one. I said one of. Okay, I didn't say the, didn't say the best. And now one we deviate <laughs> for the next ten minutes. Oh, you've no idea. I'm going to go on some weird run. Um, and, and, and for closing down, uh, Rat Pack tune for me. There's a great track. Um, called Style uh, by the Sam Dean and Frank. If, you, if, if it stands out a mile, it reflects my sort of dress sense as well. You That's know, really cool. Trying right? to make monocles cool again. We're, um, we're for the, for, I mean, obviously it's our second podcast, so you <laughs> listeners out there, this is the second time you've heard us, but we're going to be putting together a Mixology Collection uh, Spotify playlist, really, of all of your open tunes and as well as your closing tunes. So we're just collecting collecting some of the songs now actually hopefully you guys will uh, yeah. play it in the future I, and I've got a question for you so um, 
So obviously you're talking about the music, Mr. Music Man. I'm going to talk about some drinks, which is rare for me. Um, most memorable original drink that you ever created wow. and why? What was it about? I've had a why few that, have got, um, uh, that people have had babies to, but, wow. uh, but which, is, which is, I don't know, <laughs> infamy. But uh, I think the one I'm most proud of uh, was a cocktail I created at Jekyll and Hyde. So it was a cocktail? Yeah, it was cocktail. Okay. Um, well, I've got loads. As I said, we, we could we could we could do this in two parts. Uh, uh, I but think I, we're going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I created a cocktail called Armistice, uh, which was um, to obviously symbolise the end of the First World War. If you've not, by the way, seen 1917 yet, absolutely cracking film. Okay. Uh, but it was basically, and I did it at the time. I wanted to make sure I gave something back from this particular cocktail sale. So we uh, we gave 50p for every cocktail sold uh, to the Royal British Legion. Wow. So and it was the idea was to symbolise being uh, the end of armistice on the 11th of November. It was like bittersweet. It was the end of the First World War, but obviously the carnage that had happened. So used a saffron gin, being a gin bar nowadays, we um, could pick a plethora of different <laughs> flavours. Uh, a poppy liqueur, which I managed to source a pamplemousse rosé, which is pink grapefruit liqueur, and a, a little splash of blood orange syrup. So it was like it was a bit sweet, um, and 50p for all the sales went towards the Royal British Legion. Do you know how much roughly you raised? Uh, I think in one year, I think it was about 250. That's good. Uh, That's a good for, amount. For one year, and uh, obviously I'd, I'd like to have had it on uh, sort of regular but I'm not sure exactly what happened. Uh, obviously, I left towards the end. I think it disappeared off the menu. It might still be on. I'm not sure. But uh... So, um, yeah, so we're going to do um, the last feature, which is our speed round, which we didn't tell you about. This sounds like <laughs> something I do for my interviews. Simpsons, yeah. or, Simpsons or Family Guy. So I'm, I'm still practicing. So I've been at home trying to practice, but every time I do it, I sound like I'm rapping really quickly. You can't really hear the words. So it's a really simple format. Um Damien's going to count us down. You get 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Yep. 30 seconds. And it's, dun, I'm just going to give dun, you dun. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And I'm going to give you two options and just pick the first one that comes in, obviously, the, the one you prefer. Okay, so... Well, there might, there might be more than... Depending on the question. It, yeah, one of, one of them's in there. And it's quite early on and it really stumps you. So yeah. <laughs> I quite like the fact that it does that. Yeah. We're, st we're still kind of but playing around with it. I think I should have a buzzer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, well, we'll edit one in. We'll put some bed, some music as a bed. Yeah, definitely. Okay, then. So, I'll, I'll count you down from three. So, three, two, one, go. Negroni or Manhattan? Negroni. Scotch, bourbon? Bourbon. Tequila, mezcal? Tequila. Crushed, cubed, shaved? Cubed. Deathbed dram? What would be your deathbed dram? Oh, deathbed dram. Oh, Woodford Rye. Danger Mouse or Inspector Gadget? Inspector Gadget. Bitters or mixers? Mixers. Fresh or dehydrated? Fresh. Shaken or stirred? Stirred. Cats or dogs? Cats. Stop. We got through a little bit that more than that. That was good. I think, I think Drew's just rubbish. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't, I slowed that one down. I want more. I want more. <laughs> Simpsons. <laughs> no, we, Family Guy, actually. No, we've, the, the list is ridiculous. We keep adding we to it. We need to mix it up. Though. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, so for the next one, I'm definitely going to mix it up. Fantastic. That's... Um, Carl, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure today. Absolute pleasure. No, thank you for uh, listening to my uh, rabbiting on. Dude, it's, no, been, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. And, and your place is amazing. Thanks for inviting us to yours. Yeah. This well, is really cool. Know, just, uh, it's, <laughs> nice, it's nice and quiet. <laughs> Literally opened up your house to us. It's like the epitome of hospitality right here. Is it? So, so Damien, man, this is number two out of the way. Two, How yeah. was it? Uh, brilliant. I've 
I think we've we've taken what we learned from the first one, and we've taken we've pushed the bar up. I think, I, I think so. Uh, ra- raising the bar. Where have I heard that? <laughs> ah, Two thousand and five, I believe. <laughs> a little uh, celebrating fifteen years this year. That's a, yeah. Well, let us know actually the party for for Babs if you do have one. We'll I think we're going to save us. Well, I've spoke. I haven't spoke to Jules yet, but uh, I really like the idea of doing something for our eighteenth. That's really so cool. Just like yeah, uh, we'll we, keep an we, eye we, out we can that. turn legal when we're eighteen. So <laughs> how was it for you, my man? What's uh, your first ever podcast? It's uh, fantastic. I'm just interested to hear what my voice sounds. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool man well um, I'm, we're going to sign out aren't yep. we um, I, I still haven't worked out my tagline yeah like close down um, I think I've got one now it's super cheesy but I'm going to go with it go right, with yeah, it. Go thank you then. as always thank you very much for listening guys and we'll catch you on the next episode until then look after yourselves and each other love you bye